Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, October 21st, marks our 164th program. So today's featured Actus solution is the 2021 Actus Pocket Guide. The 2021 Actus Pocket Guide is your essential CDI resource. It includes updates to clinical diagnostic standards, official coding guidelines, ICD-10-CM codes, CMS-HCCs, and CDI critical thinking tips. This Pocket Guide is co-written by our CDI Education Director, Laurie Prescott, and a practicing physician steeped in the latest physician documentation terminology, James Manns. Be sure to include the number one resource in your library today, as noted on the bottom of the screen, as a very special bonus with every purchase of the print pocket guide this year, you're also going to receive access to the content in an interactive, customizable online tool, which will allow you easy access to your favorite CDI information anywhere, anytime. So check it out on HC Marketplace or in finer stores near you. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, 2020 CMS HCC Model. I'm joined today by my co-host at left, the familiar and friendly Sharm Brody. Sharm is an instructor for us here at Actus, where she teaches our CDI boot camps. She has more than 35 years in the healthcare industry. Uh, Prior to joining us here at Actus, she worked as a consultant providing program audits, implementation, and continuing education. You've probably seen her on the circuit as a member of our CCDS certification committee, our Actus regulatory committee, uh, and has written many articles for us, including CDI Journal, CDI Strategies, and I want to welcome her back to the show, Sean Brody. Hi, Brian. I've missed you. It's good to be back. I know. Great, great to have you back on. Next, I'd like to introduce our uh, special guest today. Joining us for her first podcast is Jennifer Eaton. Uh, Jennifer is Executive Director of CDI Services and Education for NJOIN, which is located in Tennessee. Jennifer has been in the CDI profession since way back 2007. Over those past 13 years, her love and passion for this profession has grown and evolved as the purpose and focus of CDI has grown and evolved along with it. She says that's one of her favorite aspects of CDI. It's ever-changing and evolving. Uh, given the complexity and diversity of today's CDI landscape, she believes the industry needs thought leadership of equal measure. Um, she's going to be talking a little bit about that today. We were just chatting before the show about the ways that the CDI profession is evolving towards uh, risk-adjusted payments. Um, so I want to welcome her to the show. Welcome to the program, Jennifer. Thanks, Brian. All right. Well, as I always do, I'm going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. So let me go ahead and uh, launch that for you. There we go. All right, you should be seeing that on your screen about now. Today, we're asking you whether uh, does your organization review documentation for improved HCC capture? Um, your options are yes, and our CDI department's involved in that. Uh, yes, but maybe it's a different department that handles that function. No, 
don't do that, uh, don't know, or other. And as always, I'd love to hear your responses. You can shoot those to me in the chat pod. I'll be keeping an eye on those during the program. So again, does your organization review documentation for improved HCC capture? Uh, yes, that's something our CDI department's involved with. Yes, but a different department than CDI handles that. Um, no, don't know, or other. All right, we've got a little over 70% of our audience have voted at this time. I think our numbers are stabilizing here, so I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to close this out, and we will come back to those poll results in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, Jennifer Eaton's our special guest today. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, we got a lot to cover today. So, uh, but I thought we needed to set the stage. I think we're going to see in our poll results that not everyone knows about HCC. So could you just talk a little bit about what these are and, and kind of how they operate to give some context? Sure, absolutely. So the CMS HCC model, which we're going to talk about today, has been around, you know, really for close to two decades now, and it's essentially a, a risk adjustment model. Okay. The way it works is around, you know, 10,000 ICD-10 codes that map to uh, condition categories, and there's 86 of those. <laughs> And then these categories, which are our HCCs, when those are captured on a claim, um, it serves the purpose to help communicate patient complexity to CMS, essentially. Um, and then it also aids in predicting healthcare resource utilization and future cost of care for that patient population. Now, the H in the HCCs uh, is referring to a hierarchy. Uh, and this is where we start to deviate a little bit from the more traditional kind of risk adjustment model that a lot of us are used to with CCs and MCCs in that there are um, certain disease states, and we'll, we'll take diabetes as an example, where there's actual, actually multiple HCC possibilities for that disease state. However, a patient can only have um, one HCC within that category assigned. Um, and the way that works is you want to ensure that the HCC that is assigned corresponds to the most severe manifestation documented. So in layman's terms, that means the more specific the diagnoses, the more likely we are to capture a higher weighted HCC category. So a good example, again, thinking back to diabetes. So if you're looking at a claim and you see that there are, um, you know, ICD-10 codes that map to both HCC-17, which is diabetes with an acute complication, and HCC-19, which is diabetes with, um, without complication, the HCC model is going to allow that HCC, HCC 17 to trump the other because it is, represent, it is representing a more severe manifestation of the diabetes. So a, just a couple of key concepts here to remember. HCCs, um, there's a lot of focus on chronic disease burden for the patient population. And then um, 
the goal is for highest, the highest level of specification for each of those chronic diseases. Gotcha. Thank that you. That makes sense so far. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a great explanation. Hi, Jennifer. This is Sham. So I'm going to ask you, we've talked a little bit about it, but if you could expand on um, the traditional way that the HCCs have operated. Um, and could you also go over a little bit for the audience what data elements from the record would impact uh, the HCC assignments? Sure, absolutely. So let me kind of pick up on a, a previous analogy where I said that these are kind of like CCMCC. So let's kind of start there. So just like CC's MCC capture that we're all familiar with in the inpatient space, HCC's are dependent on provider documentation and then accurate coding, um, both for the ambulatory space as well as the inpatient space. Um, now, again, building on that last point, unlike CC's MCC's where only one diagnosis is needed to result you know, in, in moving that DRG to a higher weighted DRG and therefore reflecting um, higher um, uh, acuity of care for that patient. The goal of HCCs uh, and the HCC methodology is to capture code or codes um, that are included in as many HCC categories as possible because these are additive, okay? Um, and then additionally, the other kind of important point to understand within the HCC methodology is that these HCCs must be captured during the calendar year in order to be applied to the annual risk adjustment score and to ensure appropriate payment um, or prospective payment for that patient population. Okay, so just in that last example, when we talked about diabetes, um, that's great that diabetes was captured on a patient claim in 2019. As we're going into 2020, 2021, we need to make sure that diabetes is captured at least on one claim. Ideally, it's on multiple claims because it's a chronic condition that needs to be monitored. But really within the methodology, diabetes has to hit that claim annually at least once in order for that HCC to count towards the risk adjustment model. If we are not performing well inside that HCC model, we are lacking the opportunity to translate to CMS how sick our patient population is, okay? The other thing to keep in mind is, again, over the years, so, so because HCCs are directly tied to provider documentation and coding, over the years, we have seen an uptick in scrutiny related to HCC accuracy and compliance, especially as it relates to um, MEET criteria. So I wanted to bring this one up. So MEET stands for Monitoring, Evaluating, Assessing, and Treatment. So again, this is not a new concept to CDI and coding. We, we understand that, um, but particularly what we're seeing in the ambulatory space is that there has um, the, the scrutiny around HCC accuracy has increased over the years, and a lot of that is focused on this specific element. So yes, it may have been documented, or maybe it was just found in a problem list. Yes, it was coded, it made it onto the claim, but there may not be relevant information in the patient's chart 
to demonstrate that that particular disease process or condition was addressed during that stay or during that visit. So super important to think about compliance anytime we're talking about HCCs. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. Jennifer, can I just elaborate on that just a little bit? Um, you talked about the different encounters. Can you talk a little bit about the types of encounters that we can capture HCCs in? Uh, absolutely. So HCCs translate into both the inpatient encounter space as well as the ambulatory or outpatient encounter space. Um, so very important to understand the rules and regulations around that. Um, so again, this is translating across the care continuum, um, unlike our CCs, MCCs, which are a primary focus in the inpatient space. Now, there, the, uh, the question we commonly get asked, well, if I'm focused on CCs, MCCs, am I naturally going to satisfy HCC capture in the inpatient space? And, and the answer to that is maybe. So there is some overlap, but there are some HCCs that are not going to count as CCs and MCCs. So again, important to understand the methodology and important to understand um, the areas of focus for this. Now, just to piggyback on that a little bit, um, what we've seen in the industry um, to date is that inpatient programs are um, choosing to expand into HCC capture Um, for those inpatient acute admissions. Um, The flip side of that is perhaps the more vulnerable population that does not have an inpatient stay during the calendar year. They may only have one uh, wellness check with their primary care provider. So essentially we have one opportunity in that calendar year to capture those HCCs appropriately. So definitely kind of an area of vulnerability there in the ambulatory world. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to get into a little bit more of the vulnerabilities in, our, in the news segment in a little bit. But I, I wanted to ask you, Jennifer, about some forthcoming changes. Um, as I understand it, so in 2022, so two years from now, albeit impacted by 2021 um, codes, that the, the risk score calculation will rely solely on encounter data. So I wanted to ask you, is this is it accurate? How big of a change this is? And, and what does that mean to uh, the work of CDI professionals that may be capturing this right now? Absolutely. Um, so you, you are correct, Brian. So yeah, in, in September, so recently CMS published part one of their Medicare Advantage advance notice. And in that they clarified for us um, that part of their 2022 plan is to move away from the blended model that we're all accustomed to today in which they were using um, encounter data encounter data and the wraps model Um, and they're moving away from that and and going to fully phase in the 2020 cms hcc model so what this translates into is that that means that only the diagnoses from encounter data will be pulled from those claims to be used for risk score calculation. So that, that essentially means that only the HCCs picked up on that encounter data will be included. Now, what does this mean for CDI? So it means that the challenge we have with encounter data today are going to become potentially even bigger um, as the impact on these uh, RAF scores or risk scores are now 100% dependent on accurate documentation 
and accurate coding. Um, now, mainly the challenges to date that we've seen are centered on either incompleteness or inaccuracies in the medical record. So no surprise there, <laughs> that should resonate with all the CDI uh, professionals listening today. And that is, you know, the core objective of CDI is to help ensure accuracy and completeness of diagnoses. So really to me, what this translates into is a greater opportunity uh, for CDI to assist with accuracy and completeness of reporting for these HCCs. Mm -hmm. Great. Absolutely agree. <laughs> Are there any other changes, um, this is Jam again, to the HCC list that our listeners should know about? Um, Are there any opportunities in chronic conditions that you can mention to um, the people listening? Sure. So annually, the HCC list does fluctuate, in, again, similar to our CCMCC list. Some codes fall on, codes fall off, codes get expanded. Um, the, the big takeaway, though, that I like to share with, with people, especially if they're kind of taking their first dive into HCCs and, and trying to figure out where do we potentially want to prioritize, um, there are always some conditions that rise to the top of the list. Um, and that's either through data review or chart reviews themselves. And those are going to be uh, some of your more common, common uh, chronic conditions such as CHF. Um, depression is a huge opportunity. Um, obesity with a BMI. Diabetes linked to manifestations is also a huge opportunity. One that we're gonna talk about later, acute versus chronic versus history. Uh, particularly in patients with cancer. Um, and then outside of that, just the general concept of promoting the highest degree of, di of disease specificity is super important. Um, one other uh, element, and I will touch on this a little bit later, but I wanted to bring it forward here, um, is also problem list cleanup. <laughs> a lot of the challenges have to do uh, with the fact that um, that problem list is not updated, it's not accurate, but yet it is still a resource to potentially code from. Um, so very important to have that done. And then, you know, I know we'll, we'll move into this later as well, but understanding some of these common vulnerabilities are really going to give a CDI program, a coding or compliance program a leg up when you really start to dig into the data into, and into also potentially chart reviews. So understanding those common vulnerabilities is really gonna help you define a scope uh, where you need to focus some additional efforts uh, to ensure compliance for sure. Thank right. you. Yeah, thanks. We're almost at the end of our interview portion. I did just want to ask Jennifer, you had a, if you have a tip or two on on provider education. Um, someone asked earlier in the chat pod here that. Um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, gosh, I lost the question here. We're getting quite a few questions, which is great. I'm struggling to find oh, where yeah. that actually came in. But just anything you have on. Uh, you know, this is such a big, I, it, it's, it seems like there's more emphasis put on the physician and more ask of them because of, like we talked about, the, the opportunity to capture these in the ambulatory setting where there may not be time for concurrent review, quick encounter. Do you have any tips just for that, uh, the, the provider engagement and, and uh, 
and documentation uh, side of things. Absolutely. So, regardless of the you know type of provider or setting, there's some you know barriers to success that are always typically present, um, and those include uh, lack of time on the provider side, our lack of buy-in, our understanding of why is this important to me. So, what we have found to really work is peer-to-peer. Uh, -peer, so provider to provider whenever possible, as well as small group or one-on-one -on -one education um, when possible. Doesn't have to be lengthy um, education. We have seen a 20 minute one-on-one -on -one session be way more impactful than a year worth of in-services, right? So it's, it's really about working with your groups, trying to meet them halfway and getting creative with some of that delivery. The other elements that I want to emphasize is, is utilizing your data. And this one can be a little tricky. Sometimes it's, um, you know, again, with working with clients in the past, sometimes it can be a little tricky to understand what data are we receiving from our payers to help us understand how our HCC capture is comparing to potential peers or to national averages. Um, but once you once you have that data in your site, it is invaluable to help you start to understand, do we have potential areas of opportunity, either for um, increased HCC capture or do we have potential compliance opportunities? And therefore we need to do some, deep, some deeper dives. So really data is going to be your friend with any type of HCC, um, compliance projects. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing about impacting, uh, you know, or, or helping the providers understand what is important to them, you know, well, again, what we found is coming from it, uh, from a patient, um, from a patient perspective is always uh, a good point to emphasize. So, you know, greatly beneficial to the, to the patient <laughs> to have the most accurate medical record um, particularly at the point of care. And that can be, again, a challenging um, aspect in the ambulatory space. Um, so uh, again, understanding those unique opportunities and, and, and focusing your messaging to those providers. Um, the other opportunity that I just wanna touch on is uh, trying to condense the education as much as possible. Don't try to boil the ocean, you know, identify maybe four key diagnoses or four key takeaways for that small group or for that provider. Give them specific examples from their documentation, their coding, their chart to help drive home the messaging and the opportunity. And then um, take it that next step. Do we have the opportunity to work within our EMR? to create more efficient tools for our providers. So again, it's it's about being an educator and an ongoing resource to really try to help these providers uh, be set up for success. Great, some great tips there, Jennifer, really appreciate it. We're gonna go Absolutely. ahead and uh, just take a quick look at our poll results here. So you guys should be seeing those on your screen. We asked, does your organization review documentation for improved HCC capture? So majority, 51% say yes, and their CDI department is involved in that function. 13% uh, say yes, but a different department does that. 22% uh, say no, 
12% don't know, and then 2% other. So curious what you think of these results, Jennifer, anything here surprise you or not? Um, maybe not surprising, but very excited to see over half the respondents saying yes, and that their CDI department is involved. Um, I think that, you know, even if we'd done this poll a year ago, maybe we would not have seen that 51%. Right. Um, so I think, it's been, I think that's fantastic. That shows that CDI is uh, growing and stretching and, and moving into other um, opportunities that can continue to show and demonstrate uh, CDI value. Absolutely. And, you know, I think if I'm correct, I did ask this same question on a previous podcast. I'm going to jinx myself, but I'm pretty sure I did. And I, I will take a look to see what those results were. Should have had those ready for the show. Darn it, could have done a little more show prep there. But, Woulda, uh, coulda, shoulda. <laughs> I, will, I am going to check on it, though, and I'll report back on the next podcast. How about that? Um, but let's bounce over at this time to In the News. So In the News is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. We were talking about this earlier on the show about a, a timely story I found very related to today's topic. Uh, as the OIG is wont to do, it's in all capital letters and doesn't uh, – this, there's no subtlety there in the title of this of this report. Uh, incorrect acute stroke diagnosis codes submitted by traditional Medicare providers resulted in millions of dollars in increased payments to Medicare Advantage organizations. So um, as I always do, I will include the link to this report in the show notes, which can be and can be found on the Actus website. Uh, but in short, um, and there's a nice summary of this coming up here on your screen. Uh, it's an audit made by the OIG of uh, what boiled down to essentially, there was a much larger bucket, but they boiled it down to 582 enrollees, which were transferred. Okay, these were, these were traditional Medicare patients, but were transferred to Medicare Advantage. And they were looking at records for which medical record, di uh, re medical record documentation included an acute stroke diagnosis. The OIG found that of these 582, almost all, 580 of 582, of the selected acute stroke diagnosis codes that physicians submitted to CMS under traditional Medicare and were later used to make payments to Medicare Advantage, so this is year, uh, calendar year 25 or 2016, 2015, 2016, did not comply with federal requirements. So what that meant was, the, according to the OIG, the medical records did not support the acute stroke diagnosis codes. Um, ischemic or unspecified stroke HCCs were not validated, which seems to me to point to a need for, you talked about earlier, Jennifer, that human or clinical validation. Um, these, these errors originated from physicians submitting acute, uh, uh, incorrect acute stroke diagnosis codes, uh, resulted in inaccurate payments of just over $14.4 million. So it's a really lengthy report. It's about 25 pages. I, we're not going to go through all of this now, but worth taking a look at because it does point to some errors in, and that can result in compliance risks that are possible here. Um, you know, these acute stroke codes map to the HCC for ischemic or unspecified stroke, uh, but a history of stroke does not map and the OIG claims that those history codes should have been used instead. So 
um, yeah, basically that's and and so when when you do use a, a history of stroke, uh, that does not map to an HCC, and you can see how that would result in a, in inaccurate payment. So um, would recommend checking this report out, especially if you are involved with HCC capture or recommend or planning on getting into it maybe in the coming year. Curious, Jennifer, what your thoughts are on this article. Why do you think there's such a high error rate, first of all, and, and is it, it are these HCCs being picked up from outdated problem lists, billing software, maybe without any validation on them? Is it physicians using, I know physicians use CPT for their professional billing. Maybe they, they're not paying as close attention to those ICD-10 codes, not a priority for them. I, I could be many possible possibilities here, but curious what you are thinking. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, based, again, based on our experience related to HCC audits, I was unfortunately not surprised by this report. I, you know, acute versus chronic versus history of pretty across the board um, uh, relevant issue uh, that we see, and it extends beyond just TBAs. And definitely lack of problemless cleanup can and does contribute to this challenge. Um, I think too, in the ambulatory space, um, a lot of times the provider is the coder, right? Yep, so yep. we're expecting them to understand, oh, you can call an MI acute for up to four weeks, but don't do that for CBA, right? So I think we're almost um, setting ourselves up for, for a little bit of this compliance issue if we are not doing ongoing and adequate checks and balances, uh, particularly in, in the ambulatory space where this is super vulnerable. We see this a lot too, if the patient has had a recent inpatient stay and now they're following up, um, it is not uncommon for a lot of those acute conditions to just be resubmitted on, the, on that bill. Um, and it's not that anyone is, um, of course, trying to game the system. A lot of times it is just lack of knowledge, right, around the best code and what are those coding guidelines that we need to, you know, all exist within. Um, and then, you know, the larger issue that I feel here is, is the need to create a documentation and coding integrity support system for our providers. Um, so again, it starts with understanding your data, understanding your areas of vulnerability, and then trying to craft um, a CDI program that can support our provider groups because obviously uh, the need is there, right? And we all wanna do the right thing, uh, but no person can do this alone. So mm -hmm. you need a dedicated team to help you support that process. Yeah. Great, Jennifer. Great message there. All right. Let's just wrap up with a very brief Actus update. So Actus updates are regular feature bringing you the latest updates and what's going on inside of Actus. Today, I wanted to list, uh, let our listeners know about a couple of important um, initiatives we have going on that we're hoping you participate in. One is our diversity in CDI survey. Our last show two weeks ago was with um, a CDI professional, a person of color, and, and we're, we're, we're trying to get some more data from our membership on how diverse the CDI industry is. And we would encourage you to take that. If you go to actus.org, click on this banner, it's right there for you. Please do take it. This is incredibly important for us and um, will help us with our new uh, diversity and inclusion task force and their work going ahead. Uh, you can also take our salary survey while you're there. 
but also wanted to really point to this one. Um, we have our Actus Scholarship. We started this program a year ago. It was a big success. We awarded three scholarships last year. We are currently accepting applications through the, um, looks like through Monday, November 30th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. So end of day on the 30th of November. Uh, these applications go to a scholarship committee for review. We're going to render final decisions on our winners by mid-February 2021. So there is um, some criteria, you know, for, for applying, and we have that listed here. So just, again, click on the banner and uh, check out what we have to say about the, the, uh, the applications for our scholarship program. This is information is also available on actus.org. All right, so that is going to do it for today's program. Uh, we'll be back here again in two weeks for a, our next show, which is Severe Malnutrition, a review of OIG worksheets. We've got a couple of guests on who have, under the Freedom of Information Act, um, taken a look at some of those worksheets the OIG used for the recent Severe Malnutrition Audit that we featured on the podcast a couple months ago. Uh, so hope you can join us for that program. As a reminder, you can listen to the show anytime on our website or via Apple's podcast, Google Play, Spotify. We try to make the recordings available the, the usually, usually actually it's the day of, or sometimes it's within two days of the live show. All the links we discussed during today's episode will be available on the show page at actus.org. Uh, but I always conclude with, if you do have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, you want more in HCCs, uh, send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. This does help me with my coming shows. So again, want to thank Jennifer for being here today. Great job and, and charm as always. For, for everyone else, we'll see you back here again in two weeks. Take care. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.